You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Really excited to share the word with you this morning. Really excited. Honestly, uh, in this series, True Riches, this is probably the most important message of the entire series. So I'm super glad you chose to come. For those that aren't, we're going to pump it out on podcasts and online uh, for as many people to hear it as possible. Because this morning is really the training wheels or the, the starting ground for a person saying, I want to give God lordship of my finances. I want the true riches of the kingdom. I'm saying yes to Jesus with my money. This morning is the starting place. This is the training wheels. So it's, it's really important. I'll just kind of recap where we've been in this series, True Riches. This series is based on a passage, Luke chapter 16, verse 11, where Jesus says, Who, if, if, you, cannot be in, if, you, not, if you cannot be faithful with unrighteous wealth, who then will entrust you with true riches? It's that, that connection that, the, that Jesus made for us between our earthly wealth and these true riches of the kingdom that this entire series is built on. He said they're not disconnected. How we handle our money and what we will be rewarded in the, in the world to come and, and that which will last in the eternity to come. I don't know how many of you want your life to last. I mean, how, want your life to make an impact. How many of you want your life to make an impact? You want your life to be significant. You want your life to matter. Those are the true riches of the kingdom, that at the end of our days, our life would actually make an impact, that there'd be something to show for the life that we live, for the, for the, for the breath in our lungs. And Jesus said there's no disconnect between how we handle our money and the true riches that we'll be entrusted with. See, it matters how we handle our money. And then last week, Pastor Kyle dialed us in with a framework through which to view our money, which is the framework of stewardship. We are not owners of our money. Money is actually a difficult topic for me to begin to talk to you about because it's so personal. It's something we've worked for. But as Christ followers, on the most basic foundational level, we have to understand that we have been entrusted with this worldly wealth. We've been entrusted with wealth and resources and money, and it's not ours. As soon as we say yes to Jesus, we're relinquishing ownership of everything in our lives. He's master and Lord, and now the money is really his. And so now we are stewards, we're not owners. And that's a huge paradigm shift. That's the framework through which we view our money from the get-go. So if you say yes to those two things, I want my life to matter, I want my life to count, and yes, I'm going to be a steward, I'm not going to be owner of my money, it's God's money anyways, then this morning is the starting place. This is the groundwork, this is the training wheels for it all. And I call it the principle of first things. So the title of my message this morning is First Things. First Things. It's the principle of first things, where we first put our money determines a lot for the trajectory of our life. And so I want us to capture that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 is a key text that I want us to uh, consider for a moment where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. In the context of that passage, Matthew chapter 6, that's not a, a proof text for my principle of first things, the context of that passage is material belongings, our material needs. Jesus says, don't be like the world. That's kind of running around worrying about, what am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? You know, is that not the atmosphere of our world? It's a lot of worry, a lot of angst, a lot of stress about our material needs. Jesus says, don't be like that. 
For know that your heavenly Father will surely take care of your needs. And then he comes to this verse in verse 33, and he says, Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Put your priorities in the kingdom, and he'll abundantly provide. And so then on top of that is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I'm, just give, I'm giving you two key verses to, to kind of set the trajectory for this principle of first things. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You will be provided for. You will be taken care of when we honor the Lord with the first of our labors. When we desire in our hearts to say, yes, it matters. Our money is not a separate uh, compartment of our life disconnected from our spirituality. But instead, it's, it's a big part of who we are. And we talked about that the very first week, how it's such a hard issue. The, the, the issue of money is a hard issue. And so here, the wisest man in the world, King Solomon, says, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your produce, you'll be, you will be abundantly taken care of. So in this, as we talk about this principle of first fruits, which is, it's a principle regarding the giving of the first 10% of our income to the Lord. People maybe traditionally think of it as the tithe. How many of you have heard of tithing before? Awesome. Others may have not. If you haven't, that's fine. I'm going to bring us all into it this morning. Tithing is this principle throughout Scripture of the giving of the first 10% of our money. So it is a mathematical number, but I want to actually bring us beyond the math of the 10% to actually the heart of firsts, first fruits, and first things. Before we pay anything else, before we prioritize anything else, we're saying we're first going to seek the Lord, and we're first going to set aside this amount for the Lord. And that's, that's a huge radical paradigm shift in the priorities of things that vie for our heart's affection in this world. But here's my heart behind this message this morning. This is my pastor's heart. It's not that the church needs your money. It's not that God needs your money. It's really not. I want you to experience the fullness of God in your life and the fruitfulness that God has for you. I want you to experience the blessed life. And so many people confuse the tithe as a matter of the law. And we know that Jesus came. He didn't abolish the law. He came and fulfilled the law. And so in that, there's, there's many parts of strictly the law that we know are not relevant today. We're not sacrificing animals. You know, we're, we're, we're not... Um, strictly following every uh, iota of the law regarding the Sabbath. But there are principles, biblically, from Genesis to Revelation, that lay out for us as Christ followers the best way to live. And if you want to experience a full life, a blessed life, a fruitful life, a life of great significance and great impact, there are certain principles that if you grab a hold of them wholeheartedly, you'll experience that. And so my pastor's heart for you is for you to experience all that God has for you. In the area of our finances, I see this as the training wheels. This is what begins getting our hearts in the right trajectory. Of saying, okay, yeah, he, he really is Lord. And really, I am just a steward. So this is putting, this is putting uh, the rubber to the road. This is, this is actually saying we're going to do something. about We're actually going to respond to what we're saying in our hearts. It's this principle of first things. And I shared a little bit of this the, the very first week. In my um, short life of 33 years. I've made it as, as long as Jesus, 33 years now. So in my short life, I have been grateful to um, 
come from a household that affirmed this principle of first things. And I remember at the youngest of ages, my dad sat me down with, with, a, with a meager little allowance for the chores that I had done. He handed me my allowance, but he, he took the time to explain to me this, this principle of first things with a tithe. He said, Drew, this, this money you've earned, but I want you to understand what it means to tithe, to give the Lord the first 10% of this. And he helped me do the math, and I brought my small little tithe to the church. And that sat, sat with me. But as a kid, you just kind of chalk it up as, okay, this is something my parents say. We'll see if this principle is true or not. As I lived my life, I began to take inventory of, the, of people's narratives regarding their money. And I began to chalk up a lot of people that affirm this principle of first things. And they say, I tithe, and God is so faithful. He's continually provided. He's blessed me abundantly. Miraculously, sometimes he's provided. And Trust me, the net, the net worth and the, the income is across the spectrum. It's not a matter of a material belongings. I'm, they just continually affirm that testimony God has provided. He is faithful. On the other end of the spectrum, I've heard this continual narrative from non-tithers. that say, I don't have enough to tithe. I can't tithe because I don't have enough. And I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I began to see the correlation. <laughs> How is it that tithers across the spectrum of income they have enough and the non-tithers don't have enough i believe it's a matter of the heart they put aside the first fruits and god miraculously provides there's this blessed life of contentment and joy and then miraculous provision that god brings upon a life that's submitted in this way the principle of first fruits first things here's our main idea for this morning it's giving God our first is not law, it's life. I want you to put it in its proper context. This is life for you. It's not life. Anyone ever left this morning saying, well, Pastor Drew just beat me over the head with this idea of tithing, and now I feel like I'm less of a Christian, and God probably accepts me less now. I want you to remove that from your mind. This is life for you. This is how to experience more life on this earth, in this short time, oh, this window of time that you have, this is how you can experience the most in your finances, is if you'll embrace this principle of first things. Jesus is more than sufficient. And God accepts you because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He doesn't think less of you or more of you based on your giving. This is simple, simply a principle of the ways of this world in which God has set in motion, and I'm going to set that forward for you outside of the law. I'm going to do it all without the law this morning. Because I want you to see how an early, at the earliest moments of God's story of redemption, he set in motion this principle of first things. So quickly jump to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to do a lot of jumping. Genesis chapter 2. So in your Bibles, right after the, the page with table of contents and, and uh, who this Bible is dedicated to, then you get to Genesis chapter 2. So it's the very beginning of the story. Okay, so he's setting in motion a principle here. God created this just amazing, beyond comprehension. We're just kind of scratching the surface and understanding God's creation. The majesty and the beauty of his creation. He creates the beauty of it all, and then he sets humanity as really his crown and glory above it all. And he sets humanity in the garden, and what's our role in the garden? It's to have a certain authority over creation, 
to steward it right from the get-go. He, he actually says, I'm going to give you some shared responsibility in my beautiful creation, and you're going to be stewards in my, in my, uh, as part of my creation. And so in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. He says right from the get-go that you are stewards of my creation. You're not owners. You are not owners. And to, to just, I guess, draw a line about the difference between stewardship and ownership, he set aside a portion that he said, you shall not touch. You are to steward it. I want you to co-labor with me. He gave us a creative instinct, instinct and a, an ability to have dominion in a godly way over creation. But he draws a clear line in the sand saying, you are not the owner. And what was the temptation that got to, to, to Adam and Eve's heart? It was this temptation to think that they could be like God. And that is one of the great temptations in the area of our money, is to think in the area of our money, is to think that we can be God of our own money. We can be master of our own universe in, the, in regards to our money. And we get so clammy and so worked up when it comes to talking about our money because it's so personal. Personal. But at the very beginning, he set apart this, knowledge, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't touch it. And what, was the, what were the two paths that he laid out for them? He said, if you understand your role as steward, and, and you uh, have this godly authority over my creation, you co-labor with me in this, this beautiful creation, you'll experience life and fullness and blessing and protection and provision. If you step across the line... And pretend for a moment that you are God of this universe. What does he say? It's death. And we all know the story. It didn't physically mean death. He didn't just strike them dead. But it was instead a life that was cursed. A life of toil and struggle and always lacking and never having enough. And I believe before us in the era of our finances, it's those true trajectories we have the choice to walk down. We can be like those non-tithers and say, I just never have enough. I never have enough. I never have enough. Therefore, I can never trust the Lord in my finances. Or you can walk this life of giving the Lord your first fruits and watch his beautiful provision and protection and blessing time and time again. And you're loosed from that bondage of taking ownership of something that's not yours in the first place. So right right from the get-go, it's set in motion. So let's keep moving then to Genesis chapter 14. And we, say, we see the great patriarch Abraham forefather of our faith, the father of the nation of Israel, before any of that's even a thought, except for in the mind of a God, we see Abraham, and he hears word that some of his family, some of his family members had been taken captive by a neighboring kingdom. And so he musters the best platoon he could, which is a, a 318 soldiers. <laughs> that's the best platoon he could come up with, and he goes into battle against this neighboring kingdom. And God miraculously provides the victory for Abraham and his humble little platoon. And they are blessed then with the, the plunder from this battle. And he is abundantly uh, blessed. Let's see then Abraham's response to God's amazing blessing and increase in his life. In verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. 
And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of, every, of everything. You may not be tracking with me yet, but, but Abraham, post his battle, his, victor, his miraculous battle, miraculous victor, victory, comes to this encounter with Melchizedek. Melchizedek is not a household name, uh, unless your name is Melchizedek, then I apologize. I haven't met too many Melchizedeks. But Melchizedek is an important uh, Jewish uh, figure, really foreshadowing the Christ. In Jewish tradition, they understood this, this high priest that just kind of plopped onto the story. You see, in this, at this point in the, the Genesis story, there is no such idea of a high priest. But all of a sudden, Abraham recognizes this guy as a representative of God. This is not the, there is no priestly order yet. There, there is no, no, no way to designate this man, except for Abraham had faith to see that this man was set apart as a representative of God. And so what did he do as an as a, as a, um, act of worship to designate that God is my source and my supply? He supplied the victory. What did he do? He gave him a tenth of all that he had. For him, that was the proper response to, to honor the Lord with the first things of his increase. So you see in this story the illustration of the heart behind giving of our first things. It's out of a heart of, of gratitude, not of obligation. So I don't want you to walk out of here feeling obligated, instead invited into the opportunity to experience something more in the area of your finances. But secondly, I want you to see in this story that Abraham, first and foremost, gave to Jesus. We can give to causes, and we can, we can accomplish many things around this world act tangibly with our money, and I affirm those things. We're going to do that as a church. But on the most basic level, the training wheels of kingdom finances is just giving to Jesus. I'm giving to Jesus, and we see that here. If you move forward, this is not the last time we see Melchizedek mentioned because the Hebrew tradition was Melchizedek was a, was a um, foreshadowing of this Messiah, this, this king that was to come as a savior. So we see it in Hebrews chapter 7. It's on the screen, verses 1 through 3. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See, we don't know where much of that came from. We don't necessarily know when or how he died. It's just like he appeared. And it's, it's like a, um, a picture of this Messiah that would come and reign forever, our Jesus. So we give to Jesus. So first and foremost, we talked in the garden that's the blessing of submission. It is good to know that you're not God. Put yourself in the, just the proper order of things. We are stewards. We're not owners. That's the blessing of stewardship. That's, I mean, the blessing of submission. That's so good for our hearts. But secondly, we see here, this is the blessing of faith. The blessing of faith, simply to give to Jesus. To see, to see Jesus even in the area of our finances. So then we continue to fast forward through the story of Abraham. We get to Genesis chapter 22. It's a pretty notable story in the story of Abraham and how God used Abraham. As you probably know, um, God promised to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. 
We know the end of the story. God, God accomplished it. But how, how many of you know, if you, if you know Abraham's story, it was a long road to coming, right? It was a long waiting period before he saw the promise fulfilled. And God pro- gave him this promise. He'd be the father of many nations. His descendants would be more than the stars in the sky. But yet he waited. And he waited. And he had faith. And then moments where his faith waned. And he did some stupid things. And then moments where he continued to, to trust the Lord. It wasn't until the age of 100 that he had his son Isaac. The fulfillment of this promise, just the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. You can't even say it's the fulfillment of the promise yet. Just one, just one child. And what does God do in Genesis chapter 22? He asks him to sacrifice his one son. Like what? Yes, sacrifice all that I've given you. I want you to lay it on the altar. So, and he, he doesn't just like test him as to whether or not like he'll affirm it with his voice, but he like continues to walk through this path as though he's going to follow through with it. And he takes him up onto the mountain. He comes with all the supplies. He begins to tie up Isaac and throw him on the altar. And right as he's going to kill his own son, the angel stops him. He says, the Lord has provided. And there a ram was caught in the thickets and the Lord provided a sacrifice. He passed the test. Abraham passed the test. I would say so many times in our finances, and I said this the first week, it's such a test of our hearts, and God wants you to pass the test. And that's why even throughout Scripture, he's revealing to us this principle of first things, because he's cheering for you. He wants you to pass the test. And so then in verse 14, it says, So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And I call this the blessing of provision. I feel like far too many believers miss out on the experiencing the blessing of provision because they give God no room in their finances to even move. It's like they respect the government and they respect their mortgage company more than they respect God. So they pay everything else and then they'll see what's left at the end. And if, if we can get close to 10%, then yeah, we're, we're doing all right. But they're missing the point. It's not about the math of it. It's about giving God room to move in the area of, the, of blessing them with provision. And that's a testimony of my own life. Time and time again, I've seen God miraculously move in our finances. You see, God didn't say, once Abraham had five sons, hey, can you now sacrifice your first son? Or once you have ten sons, then sacrifice so you know you have a backup plan. No, no, no. He said, sacrifice your son. Just trust me. Trust me. And God miraculously provided. So fresh out of college, me and my wife, we, like I said, I grew up in a home that affirmed this tithe, and I had seen the testimony before my eyes. I'd studied it a bit in Scripture, and I understood it as a principle I wanted to guide my life. So I carried that into my married life. But as you know, as, you're, as you get older, the stakes only rise. Pressure only rises. The uh, expectations and responsibilities only rise. And now I got a wife. We graduated from college, $27,000 in student loan debts. Yes. It's the world we live in. And, and then you have that, that, that struggle, that tension. Okay, so now what's priority? Now we can, we can accomplish, we can, mathematically, we can accomplish paying off our debt faster if we forego the 10% that we're giving to our church, and, and we give that towards our debt, mathematically, we could, we could do this pretty fast. We didn't do that. Thank the Lord. I believe it's God's grace. We continue to tithe. I praise the Lord for his humble provision. 
15 months, we paid off $27,000 in debt. By, by just God's grace, allowing us to be creative with our finances. Allowing us to pare down our vehicles. We were driving one Honda Accord that was older than both of us. Selling things creatively online. Working extra hours when it's offered to us. Pulling together anything of that 90%. God made that 90% go further than we could have ever made our 100% go. And that's the, that's the truth of the matter. I believe it's that principle of first things. It's not getting tied up in the mathematics of it. But instead, knowing, con- conquering this, uh, this area of unrighteous wealth is a matter of the heart. And I remember there's a season in our life as just young parents where the, the pressure begins to rise even more. Now I got little ones. They're, they're, they expect you to feed them and stuff like that, you know. Put, put clothes on their back. And I remember... There was a season where we just continued to see God provide miraculously. And Tanya and I felt convicted that we should be taking note of these things and writing them down just to watch God's provision. Because I was no longer a nuclear engineer at this point. Now I'm a pastor and still on a single income. There's one moment in March, 2013, I wrote it in my prayer journal. And on the, the beginning of March, I said, we, Lord, we need $2,200 to pay for some medical bills that we had accumulated from stuff that wasn't covered by insurance. And I just gave it to the Lord beginning of March. Praise the Lord. March 24th, I came back, and I wrote, the Lord had provided $2,250. From people that had no idea about our medical, we didn't go around spewing it all over Facebook. It was just the Lord's abundant provision, his generous provision in our lives. That's the blessing of provision. Just a couple months later, May comes around. I put it on my prayer list, May 2013. I said, Lord, we need a vehicle by December. Right? You can see the writing on the wall. How many of you have driven a vehicle where you can see the writing on the wall? <laughs> Like, you hope it makes it, till, makes it till December. And that's where we were, May of 2013. Well, September, I came back, and I put in parentheses, the Lord answered that prayer in September 2013. Somebody just gave us a van. Somebody drove up to our house, knocked on our door, and said, we want to give you a van. Like, who does that? <laughs> God does that. That's the blessing of provision. And so you can get tied up in trying to calculate everything, or you can just trust the Lord with the first things and know and give God space to provide. I believe so many believers are missing out on that adventure of faith. It's going to work out. Remember where we started in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Don't toil about like this world, worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. So let's get to the last, the last blessing. Genesis chapter 28. Now we come through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, now to Jacob. Jacob didn't live a very upstanding life. I mean, Abraham had his issues, but now we get to Jacob, and he is a deceiver and a liar and a coward. But God is so gracious. Thank the Lord for his grace in our lives. We get to Genesis chapter 28, and Jacob has this famous encounter with God. He sees this vision of heaven. He's brought to his knees. He's humbled. Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, he's brought to his knees. He's humbled by God as God reveals himself to him. He's overwhelmed with God's gracious um, pursuit of him in this encounter. And so then we come to verse 20. This is Jacob's response to this encounter with God. He says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, 
then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. I think it's so peculiar. This was not law. There's nowhere that it was written, you shall give me a tenth of everything that you are. And this was his response. There was, there was beginning to formulate a family tradition maybe. But his response to this radical encounter with the goodness of God, he wrestled with God. I mean, of all the blessings, like ways to encounter, I pray for encounters with the Lord. I don't pray to wrestle with God. But, but Jacob wrestled with God, and his response to this gracious encounter with God himself was that he was going to give him a tenth of all that he had. I call this the blessing of gratitude. It is, it's a blessing to live with gratitude overflowing from our hearts. And I, I believe so many people get tied up trying to debate the legitimacy of the tithe post-Jesus, post-the-cross. And I just feel like it's a distraction. I would say any form of legalism, like I said, if you walk out of here with a legalistic view of the tithe, that God views you lesser as a result of your giving, I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to unlock a way of living in this life that you can experience a freedom in your finances and breakthrough, as I've been saying from the get-go. And part of that breakthrough is in a whole new level of gratitude, a practical way to show gratitude to the Lord for his abundant provision in our lives. The full power of tithing is found in grace and not in fear. It's, some, it's something we get to do. Praise the Lord that we get to give, that we have something to give. We all have something to give. We give as it's apportioned to us, and so we give, and praise the Lord that we live in a day in which we can give. And here are the facts. Here are the stats, the most recent stats. You know, in the United States, two point, uh, per capita, people give about 2.5% to the Lord. That's the most current stats that I could pull up, 2.5% on average. And as you know, the way Jesus worked when he stepped foot onto the planet and he began to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, he always, he always raised the bar. He never lowered it. In regards to adultery, he didn't say, hey, don't worry, now you can commit adultery. No, he said, now I want you to understand the heart of the law, the spirit of the law. I don't want, I don't want you to commit adultery in your heart. Don't even look upon a woman lustfully. And as for murder, it's not he said, just go about murdering now. My grace is, is good enough. Just go about murdering. No, he said, I don't even want you to commit murder in your heart. The law was meant to be a tutor to show us that we are desperately in need of, of a Savior, of a perfect, sufficient Savior. And Jesus is that sufficient Savior. But there are principles in the spirit of the law that God wants us to contend for. That's the best way of life. That is the fullness of life. To compare that stat of 2.5% currently in our current day, if you compare that to the Great Depression, that generation, the average was 3.3%. We're being outgived by the, by the generation of, the, of one of the most difficult financial times of our nation's history. And if God was asking of poor Jewish peasants and farmers to give 10% of all of their increase, how much more should we in the most blessed generation of all time be willing to give the first things to the Lord? What an opportunity we have. I'm going to ask Paige actually to come to the keys because I'm going to close. What an opportunity we have to demonstrate this life, this blessed life, the fullness of all that God has for us 
to those around us and to the next generation as well. I want to demonstrate that through a passage in Exodus. Much of these principles are principles that we get to pass on to others. As you experience something, like I said, this is like the training wheels. And just like my dad sat down with me and he taught me about tithing, then I began to take inventory of their lives and I say, this is legitimate, this is authentic. I want that in my life. We get to do the same thing for others. And I remember this, this weekend, I got, to, I got the privilege of going fishing with my son and we had a blast. We caught hundreds of fish and had an amazing time. We were hosted by a professional fisherman. That's why we caught so many fish. I don't normally catch that many fish. But... This, the, the couple that we were fishing with, the, the ones that were hosting us, they were amazing people of faith, just loved Jesus, and had amazing stories in Christ. So anytime we weren't fishing out on the boat, we'd be hanging out at their house and we'd be sharing our stories of things that God has done in our life and God, things God's doing here in Ames and, and talking about our own personal testimonies, the miraculous and God's just blessing on our lives. So one of the evenings, we stayed up way too late for my son, who's an eight-year-old, but one night we were finally getting to bed about 11 o'clock and we were sitting down in the, in the downstairs family room where we were staying. My son asked, these are his words. He said, Dad, are those God stories true? I said, yeah, son, they sure are true. And I said, I said, Bryce, I hope you get to experience that as well. I hope you get to see that the dad you know is totally God's grace. That's what I told them. Our, our kids, the next generation, they just see what they can see. They don't know what has been. And I shouldn't be standing before you. I'm a statistical anomaly, a statistical uh, impossibility. I should be a drunkard. I should be a rebellious kid in some, some jail somewhere. That's the, the life, the family I come from. And it's God's grace that he would redeem me and that he'd save me. And every time we do something as simple as setting aside the first fruits of our income, we can demonstrate to our kids and the next generation that God redeemed us. We, we give to God. It's a blessing to give. It's a demonstration of the blessing that God has brought upon our lives. So I'll show you that here in Exodus chapter 13. And then I'm closing. I really, really am. Exodus chapter 13. God set in motion the tradition regarding the Passover. He says, when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites, the promised land, he swore to you and your fathers, and, shall, and he shall give it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. This principle of first things again. All the firstborn of your animals that are the, are the males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of the donkey shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your, among your sons you shall redeem. And when the time, or when in time, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And that's the opportunity we have, even to the next generation. They see you write a check to the Lord. For kids, those are more zeros than they know what to do with. But to your kid, you can say, you know, I haven't always been like this. This is who I used to be. 
I should be in bondage, but the grace of God upon my life. God has been so gracious. He's blessed me abundantly, and therefore I give. I get to give to God. I want us to experience that. Would you just stand across this place? We're going to close, and we're just going to have a simple... We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.